the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you gotta do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? <laughs> it's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> yeah. Wednesday, this high noon, and it's time for the AltaCast here on MutinyRadio.fm. I'm your host, Pam Benjamin. I am joined by the lovely and amazing Sheriff of Truth, Latoya Wynn. Welcome, Black. (laughs) Welcome back to the West Coast, son. Thank you. Yeah, um, I gotta tell you, Newark, New Jersey is a really beautiful place. I believe it. It's, uh... I mean, hey, gentrifiers, get ready. One, two, ready, Newark. <laughs> One, two, ready, Newark. Uh, it's, there's so many empty buildings because of the 1968 riots and the, the white flight. And uh, there's still so many empty buildings. And the weirdest thing is that big businesses are buying up churches and then turning them into office things. Ah, uh, I believe it. Beautiful old churches have for sale signs on them. Like, it's crazy. Newark, New Jersey is uh, awesome and not scary at all and has delicious food. This Portuguese neighborhood um, called Iron Bound or something, and it made me think of Game of Thrones. I'm like, they're the Iron Isles. Nice. But they, I, I got to eat this amazing Portuguese food, and and everybody was so nice. It was, it was really nice. I heard people in Newark are really, really like nice wonderful people and what have you totally you and know. people on the street stop and say hello they and this is east coast this is east coast yeah it was this uh, is i don't see this i do like east coasters because it's not all that fuck you mentality oh not at all you know people are really genuinely nice but if they keep it real that's the that's it was the it was very very real uh I had, a, I had a great time though uh thanks to jonathan's big sister um I don't want to call her my sister-in-law because we're, we're not married, but she's she's great. Uh, Melissa's incredible. And she actually uh, works in New York. She's the drug czar, basically, of New York. She's the deputy oh, wow. director of uh, drugpolicy.org of New York and uh, working on the legalization of marijuana. Nice. So uh, amazing stuff. And one of the things, and it's, it's on there, you can go to drugpolicy.org website. And because I was there when... Melissa got the email from her people at work or whatever, and it was saying that uh, the president of, Phili- of the Philippines that just crazy dude. so crazy. So this is what he said uh, in a big press thing to everybody without even hiding it, that um, in the Philippines, he just there's, they just want to kill drug addicts. Yeah. But he said that, well, I understand that your families won't want to kill you, so there's just an open, anybody can kill a drug addict. And he estimated that about 100,000 people would die. Now, this is sort of an ass-backward way to go about um, dealing with, with drug issues in a country. And it's the easiest way to just murder people that you don't like. Exactly. You just um, kill them and say, well, they and were drug And there's a lot addict. of hypocrisy. Yeah, you think? So it's saying, uh, why 
Is the U.S. silent on the massacre of drug users in the Philippines? Uh, this outbreak of extrajudicial killings represents grave human rights violations, yet it has been met with silence from the U.S. We haven't even said anything. Um, in the past few weeks, a spate of horrific killings have taken place across the Philippines. Murders of people who use drugs, people who sell drugs, and people who have simply been assumed to do either. No trials, no due process. These are state-sanctioned extrajudicial killings encouraged by the new president of the Philippines, Rodrigo Duerte. Yeah, he's, he's a madman, dude. He's like what would happen to America if you know who would be elected. But yeah, yeah I was should reading. not be named. Oh my God, do you think we could make it through a whole show without actually uttering yes. his name? I think we can do it. Yes. Challenge on. Challenge. Challenge accepted. Yes. We have like another he hour. He shall not and, be named. Yeah. An hour and 50 minutes of like trying not to say that person's name. That person's name. name. We yeah. can do it. We can do it. Uh, but yeah, this guy is crazy, Duarte. And it just, it shows you that the people have in the Philippines have voted to take a step back which is terrible uh, well i mean he he even i remember there was something about um a rape uh that occurred uh i b- believe it was like in 89 or 90 uh, it was a gang rape of uh, i believe an australian woman that was visiting or living in the Sil- she's a missionary excuse me and she was gang raped and murdered and then he said he wasn't part of it but he made the statement like you know it you know basically it sucks that she was murdered but uh, you know i heard she was a beautiful woman you know <laughs> you know she kind of deserved it oh you my know God. <laughs> because all pretty women uh need to be have that their only purpose is to have sex because uh yeah upon assuming presidency duerte made a public call for police and citizens alike to execute people who use or sell drugs promising medals for citizens who comply and pardons for police if they are charged with human rights violations while carrying out the executions since making this harrowing call to action over 700 people suspected to have been involved with drugs have been murdered a further 114,000 people who use drugs have turned themselves into authorities, undoubtedly out of fear for their lives, and who will now face time in overcrowded prisons and are likely to be subjected to inhumane and involuntary drug treatment programs. The sudden outbreak of extrajudicial killings represents grave human rights violations, yet it has been met with silence from the United States. Last week, U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry met with President Duarte and vowed to commit $32 million to support law enforcement training and efforts in the Philippines, making no mention of the unlawful killings currently taking place mm. at the president's behest. Thanks, John Kerry. Come Shame. on, bro. Shame. Mention it. Shame. You got it. Well, that's the thing is we got to, sh- we got to, shamed Duarte here. Uh, yesterday, more than 300 organizations from around the world released a joint letter calling on the United Nations drug control agencies to break their silence on the killings in the Philippines and urged Duarte's administration to put an immediate halt to its lethal anti-drug campaign. The letters were sent to the heads of the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime, the UNODC, and the International Narcotics Control Board, INCB, the two bodies in charge of international drug control, which has so far refrained from condemning the Duarte administration for the atrocities committed in the name of drug control. Whoa. Yeah. We thought we had a bad... No. Yeah, he's... (laughs) I... We, you know, I wonder how, since here in the Bay Area, we have a very large Philippine popu- uh, Filipino population. And I just Lupia, wonder, I love it. you know, I, I just wonder, 
how a lot of the American Filipinos that live here in this country, how do they feel about their relatives that are still there? Like, it's it's getting really bad. Yeah. I mean, and the fact is, like, I think people see that. I mean, this guy you is basically kill, a, He's a dictator. You can kill. It's legal now. <laughs> To kill, to kill somebody that you assume is a drug dealer or user or user. user because that is going to wipe the shame off the philippine streets i can't I, it just it seems so backwards that it's and the thing is like uh, the philippines you know is was once a democracy because that democracy is diminishing very quickly yeah you know it it was known for having the first uh, filipino woman president Ooh. you know and now flash forward now to present times you have now they voted for this guy Duarte who is basically it's going to be a dictatorship y'all it is this is I mean he's the new Hitler yeah except it's we have a lot of Hitlers going on in the world there's a lot of there's a lot of them and some of them are possibly about to start topping this topping Hitler you know well this is (laughs) a challenge um and you know the sad thing is like you know, drug abuse, it's, I mean, having an addiction, it's, it, it's, it is an illness. And the thing is, like, a lot of people want to ignore what a lot of these Nordic countries in Europe have taken, you know, to, to do. Like, uh, I believe it's in Sweden where they have everything legalized, but they have treatment centers. Um, so their drug, you know, uh, their drug abuse uh, uh, poll is very low now. And I believe the same thing in Portugal as well. You know, I mean, killing, yeah. <laughs> killing people that you might think are drug addicts or drug pushers. You know, it's it's. Ooh. Well, that's the thing is, so the drug policy now in the Philippines is just kill them. But uh, um, on the uh, drug policy, um, I'm, we're looking still at the uh, drugpolicy.org, and these are the new solutions for drug policies that they're um, trying to. You know, because it's like, what do we do? So what's what's happening now isn't working. So what what can we do to make it work? In you know, at least the United States, uh, like alcohol prohibition in the 1920s, which was intended to banish certain substances from society, drug prohibition has not only failed its mission but made its mission impossible. The failures of prohibition are painfully obvious: wasted money, wasted lives, wasted opportunities. Determining what works best is less straightforward, but we have examples from all over the world and even our own states. Uh, our own states of policies that show programs and represent opportunities to improve. Setting a new goal for drug policy is a start. The aim should be to reduce harm related to drugs, as well as harm caused by drug policies. Some U.S. states and some countries are trying new approaches that move in this direction. Rather than setting a single model for success, we can look at these different policies for ideas as we work toward them. It told me nothing. Yeah. This is, Basically, I mean, we don't know. How do we fix it? Who knows? Yeah. Well, first of all, we all know the war on drugs failed miserably. Right, right, right. Which that whole thing, to, it, the war on drugs is kind of like, it, it kind of escalates into other things such as like, you know, economics. Yeah, here we go. Drug war statistics. Oh, Did you know the amount spent annually in the United States on the war on drugs is more than $51 billion? Billion. There's three sets of zeros behind that 51, so I believe that's billion. God, imagine what you could use with that uh, money. Everyone could be treated. Everyone could have health care. And, and uh, the amount spent annually in the United States on the war on drugs is more than $51 billion. 
And that started with the Nixon administration in the 1970s, the war on drugs. But that's a year. But you know, you know why the war on drugs started, correct? Well, I didn't the CIA create crack and introduce it into the streets? Yeah, that's that's more of like in the 80s. But in the 70s, late 60s going into 70s, you have the countercultural people such as like, you know, Damn hippies. hippies. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, there was a lot of integration going on with the countercultural and a lot of minorities. And so at that time, they knew both of these parties would use marijuana. So hence why marijuana is a Schedule One drug. Right. So Nixon, you know, he ran on this platform in 68, kind of like the Make America Great Again. That's where you know who kind of learned that. Right. Um, so he ran on that fear bias of like, you know, do you want your kids to grow up with, you know, having addiction, marijuana, and ha- leads to heroin and all this, right, Ooh, right, the scary fear stuff. Yeah, yeah. So then come 1971, 72, uh, the Nixon administration, we're going to have the war on drugs. And this is what he said. He made that press conference and that's when it all started. The war on drugs started with the Nixon administration because due to the fact of you have countercultural people, people of the civil rights movement, you are, you know, and minorities kind of banding together and fighting, you know, with, along with the Vietnam war right. and civil rights, people smoked grass, it got, you know, whatever. But he saw that he saw people working don't, don't, together. Yeah, don't get together and have fun and uh, talk about things. Yeah, and it, it, see how the same, how we're the same. And so that's why they made stricter um, laws again. You know, uh, prison laws and uh, also like you know, especially with marijuana. You know, stricter drug policies. Yeah. And then we can go into the crack epidemic. And that, oh my God, that's the CIA's after us all. Uh, The number of arrests in 2014 for the U.S. for drug violations was 1,561,231. Number of these arrests that were for possession only was 83%, which was 1,297,384. So that's possession only. It's not even, that's 83% of the arrests were not for being a drug dealer, but for being a drug user. Yeah. And marijuana is not a drug. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's a really wonderful drug that can help you. Okay. Uh, Number of arrests in 2014 for marijuana law violations was 700,993. Number of these arrests that were for possession only was 88% at 619,809. 88% were for possession only. Yeah. It, it's all about the money. You know exactly where you came from in the mm. East Coast, you know, the whole stop and frisk thing. Oh, man. You know, that, that ties into what exactly what we're talking about see the drug war just ties into everything you know yeah um they you know recently new york stopped the uh, whole stop and frisk thing, yeah great which is Woo-hoo. it's 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 a racist it's a race be, they to be stopped like, for any race yeah well we get into that thing right here that oh uh, here we go with the well, proportion of people incarcerated for drug offense in state prison who are black or latino although these groups use and sell drugs in similar rates as white is 57 percent mm-hmm. uh number of americans incarcerated in 2014 in federal state or local prison jails is 2,224,400 or one in every 111 adult, adults one in 111 adults in America. <laughs> wow. The highest incarceration rate in the world. Because 
uh, prisons are big wow. business, and the drug war helped create that big business with prisons. Yeah. You know, a simple small possession can get you five years in some states. I, I can't it's, even. I'd be so scared. I. I mean, I. I we, in San Francisco, us unlighted people that smoke pot ubiquitously, and we're like, like right now, like right now. Uh, oh, by the way, you want to hold this down so that way you get more of that oil. Oh, sweet. Little pot talk right Little there. Little pot talk. Uh, estimated annual revenue that California would raise if it taxed and regulated the sale of marijuana is $1,400,000. Let's fund our schools. Let's fund some art. Maybe we can have music again in the classroom <laughs> instead of just math. Fix that fucking Petrero Street. Yeah, right? <laughs> fix anything. It, fix anything. Tax revenue that drug legalization would yield annually if current illegal drugs were taxed at the rates comparable to those on alcohol and tobacco is $46.7 billion. That would, can you imagine? Oh my gosh, we wouldn't have a deficit anymore. Oh. It's just, I think it, you know, I'm glad the, I'm glad now we've started to realize, like, I mean, I've always known, um, but a lot of people, especially a lot of people in our government have realized the drug war did not help and a lot of these people believed for so long that this we're going to beat the war on drugs no you're you can't you can't beat the war on someone who has an addiction because that's something personal you can't beat a war on something personal sure absolutely that's there you can't have a a war on something that is because i'm going through this i'm going to abuse it there's no way you can have a war on Marijuana shouldn't even be, I mean, we might as well look at like alcoholism is worse. Right. But it's, but that you're allowed to do that. And there's, if I lived in the Philippines, cause I'm a bartender, I probably would be shot to death because I am a, I'm a drug dealer. You're the drug dealer. I get people fucked up. Yeah. That is what I do. Yeah, but it's I fun, mean, what a fun job. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes it can be, yeah. sometimes not. But at the same time, you know, the, the fact of the matter is like, you know, now the most dangerous drugs aren't the illegal things. Right. You know, we talked about this many times over. The pharmaceutical companies Absolutely. are the biggest pushers now. Yeah. It's, I, I it's mean, not it's, the scary colored guy on the corner. Ooh. Well, it's the, the oxys. Um, they originally introduced oxycodone or oxy, the oxycontin. Uh, and they really messed with the people because they said that the drug company said that it was time release and it was supposed to work for eight hours, but it never worked at that efficacy, like at, for that long a period of time, it, it timed out after six hours. And so people would start feeling pain again and then they'd take more. And then doctors started prescribing high, higher doses, doses because yeah. the pain wasn't being alleviated. But the thing is that it was for the first six hours, but then it it's because they lied in their drug testing. Yeah. And that's the scariest thing, you know, because the thing is, there's anytime you have so much money and like in the pharmaceutical companies, it's really scary because that means they have the power to do whatever they whatever, want. Yeah. And they're now they're the ones that start this new addiction. And I'm glad, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of glad that people are starting to see the light of like, you know, these pharmaceutical companies have to take responsibility. Yeah. 
Well, but are they? No, they're not going to take. They don't. That's why people realize, hey, this war on drugs isn't working because the war on drugs now is on the war on pharmaceutical companies. Right. And now you got some hands, in your, you got some blood on your hands. Absolutely. And fe- all these new drugs are so much even stronger than heroin, fentanyl. You know, Oxycontin. Oh, yeah. These, I don't. You know, they're... When people talk about, like, oh, I do Oxy sometimes on the weekends, I'm like, mm, I'm good. Mm-mm. No, I'm like, no. Well, I don't like heroin. I don't like the way it makes me feel. I don't like opiates. I don't like... I don't like opiates. Even when, even when I have... Um, when I've had surgeries or whatever, and they've given me whatever drugs they've given me, I don't like to take them because, especially if I am hurt, it makes me forget that I'm hurt, and then I do stupid things, like... I'll forget. I'll forget. I'll jump out of a car or whatever. And, or like, you know, I, I had some abdominal surgery and uh, getting in and out of cars was difficult. And when I'm on pharmaceutical drugs like that, I forget. And then I'm like, oh, oh, you know, because it just, yeah. I'd rather, I'd rather feel the pain um, or just take some anti-inflammatories or, or um, marijuana seems to work. So what um, Jonathan's sister does, so she's like, she's, uh, so she's working for New York State as a drug czar. It's, well, no, it's for this um, drugpolicy.org. She's the deputy director in New York. That's awesome. So she is she's forming drug policy, basically, for the, for the city of New York, working with their representatives and then trying to they're not like a lobby but they have lobbyists you, you know they're but they're trying to change the way that the United States and she's specifically in New York but how we deal with drug policy yeah. um, this is an interesting thing drug laws and enforcement around the world uh, drug laws vary wildly from country to country some nations embrace various elements of harm reduction approach in which drug laws are set and evaluated with the goals of reducing the harm of drugs and drug policies a few legal models such as Portugal's drug laws are even exploring a post-prohibition approach by decriminalizing drugs Uruguay be- Uruguay, 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 yeah, became the first country in the world to legalize marijuana in late 2013. Let's go to Uruguay. However, the United States and the United Nations, both which have a great deal of influence on international drug laws, maintain a criminal justice rather than a health-oriented approach. They also continue to promote ineffective eradication and interdiction policies in countries uh, where drugs are produced. The... Uh, this sets the overall tone for global drug policy, so the international community is locked into a model that promotes lucrative, illicit markets dominated by organized crime. In countries such as Mexico and Afghanistan, the shortcomings of this approach are evident. Mexico's drug war has turned incredibly violent in recent years, resulting in tens of thousands of deaths. Law enforcement attempts to put cartels out of business by arresting key figures uh, have led not to the demise of the drug trade, but to a bloody struggle for control. With prohibition popping, propping up drug policy prices, it's inevitable that the drug trade will continue, no matter how risky or violent it gets. In Afghanistan, illicit opium production is so lucrative that establishment of a stable, non-corrupt central government is proving nearly impossible. International uh, efforts to stop Afghan farmers from growing opium have fallen flat because the well-sourced, ta- well-resourced Taliban can provide for farmers in a way that the government cannot. As the international community grapples with these issues, solutions such as marijuana legalization to reduce violence of Mexico's drug war, legal export of Afghan opium crops for medical use, and models that follow Portugal's drug laws became, become increasingly credible. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, 
the heroin is uh, in Afghanistan, and we wonder why we're there. I mean, yeah. poppy fields, man. They yeah. got the poppies. Well, because that's how you can make money to survive. Uh, like, what else can you? It's the same thing. Like what happened? Like, or what's still going on in like in South America? Like a lot of the poor farmers still grow coca leaves, which coca leaves is it's a very very old old traditional this is what farmers would eat so they could stay up all day to farm right so when they, they can breathe better at higher altitudes if you chew the coca leaves, coca leaves. Yeah, right it's, right it's easier to breathe it's nice. so i mean so now enter cocaine and or excuse me enter ethanol <laughs> and then you get your mixture of cocaine but again like a lot of these cartels would help provide for these farmers who were poor because yeah. the government could not. So I, I, I can't blame them for some fa- facts. And plus, if they would say no, they would probably end up dead anyway. Right, exactly. So you can't really say no. You're stuck between all yeah, rock Just and say ones. no. Yeah, uh, that did not work. <laughs> yeah, that didn't work at all. Uh, this is really interesting what they have on this website. You can ask the expert about marijuana. Uh, the Drug Policy Alliance's marijuana expert, Amanda Ryman, PhD, answers your questions about marijuana. She holds a doctorate in social welfare and teaches classes on drug policy at the University of California, Berkeley. So you can ask her a question. So these are some of the questions people have asked. Um, my son was caught smoking marijuana. Should I enroll him in a drug education program? Uh, here's another question. See, tell me if any of these seem interesting. Are there alternatives to smoking for medical marijuana patients like me? Obviously, that's it. Are websites that claim to ship CBD oil to non-medicated marijuana states legit? Wow. Should medical marijuana be helpful? Would marijuana, medical marijuana be helpful for me? As marijuana becomes legalized, will more people use it? Uh, as medical marijuana patient, where can I use or get access to medicine <laughs> while traveling abroad? That's, okay. That's an, actually an interesting question. Wow. Um, I like the parent that was concerned about... Like, should we see what that yeah. one is? Should, should I, I get him into the treatment program? Uh, dear expert, recently my 15-year-old son was having a sleepover at his friend's house. The next morning when I went to pick him up, his friend's mom told me that she caught them smoking pot in the basement. She didn't seem too worried, saying boys will be boys, but I was furious. My son had never used marijuana before that I know of. He's a good student athlete. I want to enroll him in a drug education program or something like that. His friend's mom said I should just let it go. Who's right? Concerned mom in Texas. Uh, Dear concern, it must have been a shock for you to find out that your son had been using marijuana. According to the most recent data from the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, 16.4% of adolescents 12 through 17 reported having... Uh, ever used marijuana with 7.4% reporting in the past month uh, past month use. So as you can see, while some teens do try marijuana, very few use it on a regular basis at your son's age. While there are definite risks to using marijuana, especially at a young age, giving honest, realistic information about marijuana and having an understanding of things that can help protect young people from experiencing problematic drug use can be more effective than a typical just say no approach. Um, and then she says, get a booklet named Safety First. Safety First is a booklet designed for parents by parents and addresses ways to talk to young people about drug use in a way that is informative but not condescending. Sharing honest concerns with young people about substance use interfering with goals and dreams has been shown to be more effective than scare tactics. 
An alternative to this hollow just say no rhetoric is the message that substance use, like other behaviors such as sexual activity, are never risk-free. But waiting until adulthood to engage in these behaviors can minimize their risk and increase the likelihood of having a good experience. That's nice. I'm glad my parents weren't square like that. (laughs) I really am. Because seriously, sometimes I think parents, you know, oh my gosh, I would never think that he would smoke marijuana. What do teenagers do? Teenagers are assholes, right? Yeah. Teenagers experiment with, I mean, people talk about being in college where you experiment. No, it actually starts in high school. Right. It really does. And the thing is just like, you know, when I was smoking pot in high school, I, you know, the thing is, I, maybe I was just responsible because I was trying to be smart. But on the weekends, what if I'm going to a rave, I would pop an E and then smoke a little J or what have you. My mom knew about the marijuana and she just, she told me, listen, I know, I know what, what teenagers do because I was a teenager once. Right. That right there is a connection. Sure. And the thing is, like, having a connection with your child and not being such a fucking square about it, you know, or even having friends that you knew that smoked, even if you didn't, because my mom wasn't a pot smoker. She hates marijuana. She's a drinker. Right. She, you know, she's like, listen, don't get caught with it. Don't buy it. If you're driving, you sure as hell better not have any of it in your car. Right. Yeah. You know, basically don't have it on you. But if you do puff, I know you do. I know who your friends are. I'm not stupid. <laughs> you know, and the thing is like, and you could have, you could be that straight A student. I know, I know a bunch of straight A student athletes that smoked pot, you know. I didn't smoke pot in high school, but that's just because uh, I didn't have any friends. So <laughs> it was, it was pretty easy to stay away from that kind of stuff. Like I would drive around and look for parties uh, because I wasn't invited oh, to any. Oh God. I know. And I was a cheerleader too. So I'd, after the games, I'd be like, where's the party everyone? And nobody would tell me. And they'd be like, Just oh, crickets. there isn't a party. And then like on Monday, everybody would be talking about the party. And I was like, why am I not invited to the party? You're, those people were assholes. Yeah. Well, I, I think I was kind of annoying. I don't know. I don't know what it wasn't. I wasn't cool. Uh, because I, I think I tried too hard. I think that was the thing. You should have okay. brought okay. marijuana to the party. I, hey, yeah, guys. Right? Yeah, bring the weed. I'm cool now. Well, that's so funny. <laughs> and um, people have said to me that they think that they can't imagine. I've told them about my life before, like when I was a bougie housewife. And people can't believe it. Like they're... David Klein, comedian David Clyde, gave me a ride somewhere, and I said, "Oh yeah, I was, you know, was with the same guy for 13 years, married for seven, used to have a house," and he's like, "I can't, I can't believe that." And uh, and then people who knew me from high school, like I was like the super straight edge Christian girl, and now I'm like, you know, if ever I bake cookies, people are like, "Is there, is there weed in them?" Like even if people don't know me and I offer them a cookie, it's like it's somehow pothead is like all over my face, or I don't know, it's just like now I'm, I'm. If people knew me from then and then know me now, I'm very uh, different. There are many chapters. Many chapters. Many chapters in my life. Uh, uh, Sweet. Well, drug policy. We love drugs. This was uh, one more thing on this, and we'll uh, and then we'll we'll we're going to talk about harm reduction real quickly. Um, The key harm reduction issues are drug treatment, discrimination against drug users, drug overdose, the 911 Good Samaritan. Supervised injection facilities, syringe access, and drug replacement and maintenance therapy. Um, I know we have, I know we have syringe access here in San Francisco, and I know we can dispose of them. Um, but let's check out treatment. Uh, uh, our 
priority drug treatment. Uh, drug law enforcement efforts receive ample funding each year while drug treatment options remain shamefully underfunded. Many people who seek help for their problematic drug use are unable to access treatment, encountering insurance barriers, month-long wait lists, or programs that don't meet their needs. Far too many people are only able to access drug treatment as a result of an arrest or a criminal conviction. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you... I mean, that's that's the way I think we do it. You you wait till you get arrested, and then... Or go on Judge Mathis. Right. Because <laughs> he'll, he'll give you free drug treatment if you go on there and say, like, I'm a crackhead. Well, and then we have to think about how did people start doing... Why... I mean, what leads you to start doing crack? Is it like or it's meth cheap, or heroin, right? Or, or meth or heroin? It's cheap. It's uh, is it fun? I've I don't know. Tried, I've never done I've crack. Tried, I've, I've tried crack before. Was it fun? <laughs> no. You know why? Because I was overthinking. Because I'm like, oh my god, am I really about to smoke crack? And I've done it three times, and three times is too many. The first time when I was 18. I was driving one of the waitresses home, um, who was older. She was like in her 40s, and she had a teenage daughter around my age. And she started smoking crack in my car. Whoa! As I'm taking specific her home. smell. It's a specific yeah, smell. Yeah, and I'm like, plastic. Clari- Clarice, what are you doing? Clarice. Her name was Clarice. Um, and she's like, Oh, you want to choke? And something in my 18 year old mind. I don't know. It was just like, Well, I'm driving. I can't smoke crack while I'm driving. <laughs> And so, so you pulled I'm over. Just, <laughs> and the thing is, this is in Ferguson, by the way. So that is, I was even saying like, this would be the wrong street for me to even be smoking crack. Curries. Oh my God. But when I dropped her off, you know, and she, she's like, you want and I tried it and I started coughing. I'm like, this is nothing. It, that was first time. But what, what, I mean, the second time I had more of an effect. Okay. And that effect was very brief, but I also... How brief? It was 10 minutes. Okay. And afterwards, coming down, I felt grimy. Oh. And I felt like, ew, what am I doing? And of course, I was around seedy people because my boyfriend at the time was really starting to get, become really seedy. And it, 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 I thought about consequences and wow. I wanted to take a shower. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, yeah. I smoked crack, and that was over 10 years ago. And the third time was a charm because... The third time was a charm (laughs) because it was with my boyfriend, and we were at his friend's house, and this is when he really got down and out, and this is when I knew, I'm like, I have to break up with this guy because this is getting out of control. And I remember in this room... Yeah. (laughs) And I smoked it with him, and I'm like... What am I doing? Why am I with this person? Let me st- let me get out of here right now. Like a couple days later, like I broke up with him because it was just like, and we have been together for over a year and a half, and it, it was just too much. And it, you know, it was, yeah. I saw so many things. It was things were getting grimy. Things yeah, were getting yeah. worse. Oh, yeah. And the, the thing is, he was a musician, and I wanted that rock and roll lifestyle, and I played around with it for a while. And that's when, once that crack came You don't in, gotta smoke the rock to rock out. Yes, that's what... When that, ooh, yeah. When I think of it, I, I want to take a shower and exfoliate. Oh, yeah. well, then maybe we should have people try crack because they won't like it. <laughs> uh, 
but I've never done meth. I, I've done now. I've done meth. I've I did never meth. Done. I got in and out of meth uh, real quickly, about three month period. What when happened? I was twenty five. Um, well, I started. Uh, I never smoked it. I only uh, snorted it, and I got into it. My friend was into it, and we started doing it. And at the time, I was working really hard, so I was I was up a lot of hours in the day. I was working full time as a teacher, and then. Um, in the after, at night, I was uh, stage managing all That's of these right, plays, stage and so um, I started uh, doing meth so I could just stay up all the time. <laughs> and um, I, I mean, I liked it. It made me all kind of, you know, fun and awake, and you know, I'm alert. I'm alert. I'm, I'm alert, alert. I'm alert. But uh, it was a nightmare. I didn't. I. It was dumb, and I. It, I didn't need it. It made me a, into a kind of a crazy person. And I realized I needed to stop when I was at a karaoke bar. And, uh, <laughs> I think I've heard this story. Yeah. <laughs> and I put my nose in the bag because I didn't have anything to cut the lines with. And I took way too much. And I, it was a bad night. It was a bad night. You almost overdosed on yourself. But yeah. It yeah. was it was not good. Don't sing um, karaoke on meth. It's just not. <laughs> it's not as much fun as you think it would be. Uh, Nine nine one one Good Samaritan fatal overdose prevention law. I've never even heard of this. Accidental overdose deaths are now the leading cause of accidental deaths in the United States, exceeding even motor vehicle accidents among people ages twenty five to sixty four. Wow. Many of these deaths are preventable if emergency medical assistance is summoned, but people using drugs or alcohol illegally often fear arrest if they call nine one one. Even in cases where they need emergency medical assistance for a friend or family member at the scene of a suspected overdose. The best way to encourage overdose witnesses to seek medical help is to exempt them from arrest and prosecution from minor drug and alcohol law violations, an approach often referred to as Good Samaritan 911. The chance of surviving an overdose, like that of surviving a heart attack, depends greatly on how fast one receives medical assistance. Witnesses to heart attacks rarely think twice about calling 911. But witnesses to an overdose often hesitate to call for help. In many cases, simply don't make the call. In fact, research confirms the most common reason people cite for not calling 911 is fear of police involvement. Yep. Absolutely. Your friend is dying. You're afraid because you think you're going to get in trouble for drugs. Yeah. 911 Samaritan. Like, yeah. Why 911 is a joke. Why would I trust it? Right. Because people, are, they're going to ask questions. Especially if you get to the hospital, they're going to ask questions. Where'd you, were you doing it with that person? Were you... When you, All you want to do is just help save your friend's life. Right. You know? Oh, I know. We... I mean, how do we... Syringe access, that'll help, right? So people don't get uh, HIV, hepatitis C, all that kind of stuff. Uh, clean... Clean needles. needles. Clean needles. I hate needles. needles. Oh, I would never. I, I would I never can't. shoot up drugs. Couldn't do it. Never. I nah, got a story about do. that one. You <laughs> shot someone. Shot at you up with drugs. Fuck no. Oh, okay. I watched someone. Oh, okay. And okay. No. Okay. And it was this guy that I was into. See, oh. I was. And this is after the whole crack incident. So you thought I would learn my lesson. Right. Boy, not my 25-year-old. And by the way, I was. Yes, I was 25 when I did stupid shit like that too. But. <laughs> I remember we were at, and I, I used to like to party a lot. I, I love cocaine. Um, but this is when I was really off the deep end. And so this guy I was into, um, we were at his house and we're partying. He pulls out a syringe. I'm like, uh, he's like, are you into this? I'm like, no, I hate fucking needles. Well, I see him 
you know, shoot himself up with cocaine. Ooh. Which I knew. Can I'm you like, shoot yourself up with crack? I, I don't know. I think so. You smoke the crack. You can definitely do a speedball with it. Speedball, you can shoot up. Okay. All right. Um, but yeah, so I see him watch, shoot up with cocaine, and of, of course it hits you faster. But that really scared the shit out of me. Like that was the day. Like I guess the day that you you did too much meth and you're like whoa yeah well i didn't do enough cocaine that day but when i saw that dude shoot up and i'm hanging around people like that whoa. i'm like i'm like this used to be a fun drug this used to be fun <laughs> i remember when crack was fun so this is um this is a website that's uh called drug free world so it's definitely not uh you know it's but i, I just want to see from the other side what they say about uh crack cocaine uh, what are the short-term effects of crack cocaine? Crack causes short-lived, intense highs that are immediately followed by the opposite, intense depression, edginess, and craving for more of the drug. Did you crave the drug after? Even I though did, after a the bit. ones? I, I was just like, uh, do we have any more? Do we have any more? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. People who use it often don't eat or sleep properly. They can experience greatly increased heart rate, muscle spasms, and convulsions. The drug can make people feel paranoid, angry, hostile, and anxious, even when they aren't high. Regardless of how much of the drug is used or how frequently, crack cocaine increases the risk that the user will experience a heart attack, stroke, seizure, or a respiratory failure, uh, which can cause sudden death. So you can you can really smoke crack and die? Yeah, just like you smoke heroin and die. Oh, yes, that's right. Um, blah, blah, blah. Let's see. What are the long-term effects of crack cocaine? You see it, go to the tenderloin. Yeah. <laughs> you want to look, do you want to look 60 at 40? Want to, want to, want to get that new, that new old person look? Yeah, that saggy look face. at 40. The saggy face, saggy titty, saggy all around. Lose your teeth. Down. Losing teeth. Yeah, hair uh, all over the place. Oh, yeah. Uh, in addition to the usual risks associated with cocaine use, crack users may experience severe respiratory problems, including mm. coughing, shortness of breath, lung damage, and bleeding. Long-term effects of crack cocaine include severe damage to the heart, liver, and kidneys. Uh, users are more likely to have infectious diseases. Continued daily use causes sleep deprivation and loss of appetite, resulting in malnutrition. Smoking crack cocaine can also cause aggressive and paranoid behavior. Crack cocaine interferes with the way the brain processes chemicals. One needs more and more of the drug just to feel normal. And those who become addicted to crack cocaine, as with most drugs, lose interest in other areas of life. Coming down from the drug causes severe depression, which becomes deeper and deeper after each use, and it can get so severe that a person will do almost anything to get the drug, even commit murder. If he or she can't get crack cocaine, the depression can be so intense it can drive the addict to suicide. Well, there we go. Crack and crime. Uh, yeah, there's nothing fun about going to a crack party. Yeah, right. There's nothing fun about it. It's grimy. Ain't nobody clean. Uh, <laughs> I've got images for crack, and uh, that's nice. Oh, look how rocky it it's is. It's super rocky. Super rocky. Um, I mean, Urban Dictionary, crack. <laughs> But I have to give it to the Reagan era for creating for creating the, the crack, creating the crack and the fear and what you did to a lot of the, co- the communities of color. Good job. Yeah, thanks. It was thanks, Reagan. again that was set by design too. You know, for you know these long sentences of small amounts of that narcotic that sent people away for a very long time and broke families up. 
uh, crack. He was a normal guy until he started smoking crack. Now he's a hustler that sucks dick for five bucks to buy another rock. Uh, as a rule of thumb, it is profoundly unwise to take crack cocaine. The brain has evolved to a truly vicious set of negative feedback mechanisms. Their function to affect is to stop us from being truly happy for long. Nature is cruelly parsimonious with pleasure. The initial short-lived euphoria of a reinforcer as powerful as crack will be followed by a crash. This involves anxiety, depression, irritability, extreme fatigue, and possibly paranoia. Physical health may deteriorate. An intense craving for more cocaine develops in heavy users' stereotyped compulsive and repetitive patterns of behavior may occur. So may tactile hallucinations of crawling insects under the skin. Ooh, did that happen? I not to me, but I know my friend who used to do meth all the time. She would talk about meth bugs. Oh God! And the shadow people. Oh, the shadow people. Did you any? Did you know anything about the shadow people? The the shadow people. I've heard of the shadow people, only because of the um, uh, intervention I saw with the ah. kid who uh, was doing. What's it called? Bath salts. Bath salts? He was doing the bath salts, and he'd created all of these strange um, light mechanisms, uh, uh, kind of like guns, but I saw, yeah. with the flashlights. And then he was looking for the shadow people, and he was, like, crawling on the ground. He'd be like, That's, there's one right there. And he'd, like, feel the person's, like, head or whatever, but they weren't a real person. Uh, shadow, this is what the internet says, a shadow person, also known as a shadow figure, a shadow being, or a black mass, is the perception of a patch of shadow as a living humanoid figure, particularly as interpreted by believers of the paranormal or supernatural, as in the presence of a spirit or entity. What, what are your shadow people stories? I, I don't have any. Oh, okay. I see reality. No. <laughs> I don't have, no, I don't have any shadow people stories. Not, even when I was high or on LSD, no shadow people. No shadow people. No shadow people. The official shadow people archives. Did it say anything it's about It's shadowpeople.org, you guys. Shadowpeople.org. The official shadow people archives. Did someone on meth write this? I, there's one of them's caught on camera here. Uh, it's pretty amazing. Uh, it looks like a cat leaping. <laughs> It does. It's caught on camera, but it looks like... Uh, I want to read the story. It looks like a cat leaping. Oh, they say that that doesn't exist. Shadowpeople.org. At first, they appear only out of the corner of your eye, furtively darting out of view when you look straight at them, but are now gone. Did you really see them? Shaking the image out of your head, you assume it was some particular anomaly of your eyesight. However, the feeling still lingers that someone continues to watch you. For weeks, months, or years, the fast, dark movements of your peripheral vision are dismissed until it finally happens without warning. You see the shadow directly in front of you, face to face, blacker than black, darker than dark. A void has been punched a hole in the inky fabric of night itself. Hey, this person's not a terrible writer. Sometimes it appears as a mere silhouette of a person, usually male, but generally lacking any other characteristic of gender. However, there is no way to, to end the description there. They are a hatted, there are hatted shadow beings 
hooded shadows, cloaked ones, and solid or wispy smoky types. Some are seen only from the waist up. Others clearly have legs that are seen fleeing from their observers. They dart into corners, through walls, into closets, or behind television sets, bushes, and buildings. Sometimes they simply fade into the dark recesses of the night. Lacking the description is one common denominator unifying the many different types of shadow people that enter our world, except that they are intensely dark. Even then, there are exceptions. I actually wrote this when I was on meth. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I didn't. I did. This isn't my. This isn't my blog. This is. But uh, the shadow. I, I, I could believe that. Shadow I, people are real. I could believe that. What is their purpose? Well, one thing is for certain: the personalities and intense uh, intentions of the shadow people are just as varied as one of any six billion people populating this planet. While a number of witnesses believe that the shadow people act as benevolent guardians watching and guiding us, there are just as many witnessed have no doubt of the evil, soul-wrenching potential of these beings. Originally, I believed the shadow people to be ghosts, but stories received, read, and compiled and uploaded are more convincing that shadows are a type of interdimensional being from which ghost is only one subcategory. One can only hope that serious research into this paranormal or psychological genre will paint a clearer understanding of the nature and makeup of these dark, mysterious people. That day has not yet come. Until then, this site brings together hundreds of witnesses who took the time and energy to detail their experiences in order to help us develop some kind of consensus about the very strange nature of shadow people. All right. Um, this person was high as hell. I think so. I, I think, think I'm so sorry. This person. And the thing is, this is why drugs are sometimes fun, because you get really creative, you know. But this person definitely was high on meth. Yeah, coping with shadow people is one of the subcategories. <laughs> but this site is under construction. Because <laughs> right now we can't cope with them. And we have no coping mechanism. Because I don't have enough rock yet. I don't. Yeah, we, we have to. Uh, Wow. Is there anything, is there any drug that you would try out of curiosity that you haven't? Is, is there, have are there, everything? I've pretty much tried everything that I've wanted to try. Um, and I, I'm, I mean, I really just like weed. I mean, I'm pretty vanilla. I don't even think that I'd take MDMA anymore. I don't, I mean, I just don't even. You're, you've I don't over, know. you're over it. I, yeah, I did. I went to Burning Man three times. Yeah. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine. That's, That's cool. what you see. The real shadow people. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, you can't see your shadows. Uh, this is a recent story here <laughs> from Sarah. Uh, my experience. Dear group, here is my account. About three months ago, I woke up suddenly from sleep, lying on my right side on the right side of our double bed. My husband was fast asleep on the left side of our bed. And I had a complete, real, and physical sense of someone in our room. I sat straight up and looked toward the end of our bed and to my left. I saw as real as day a tall human figure composed of black smoke. It had been, it had been sat on my husband's side of the bed toward the feet end. And I didn't feel scared at all, almost the opposite, it seemed to become instantly aware that I was seeing it and a few seconds later mobilized upward and outwards off the bed and over the bedroom door. I was not aware of being fully awake. I went in search of the figure and even double checked outside the door locks. I was not upset or frightened, even slightly comforted. A nighttime protector, guardian angel. Ooh. Uh, uh, this bitch is high too. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna say all these stories are dealing with people with they high. I, this, this is this person has to be high. Let me start off by saying I'm a rationalist. I try to debunk anything paranormal before actually accepting the fact that I've had an otherworldly experience. That being said, I do believe in the paranormal and always have. I will never forget the one and only time I've seen a shadow person. My experience happened when I was 15 years old. I had a vivid imagination. There was a wooded area parallel to the apartment complex I lived in. Just to give you an idea, when you walk out the front door, looking directly to the left was the woods. So one day I stepped off the front porch and just happened to look over the tree line. I immediately started, I immediately noticed a silhouette of a man kneeling in the canopy of trees. The only way I can describe it was a black mass, a solid silhouette with no defining features, uh, no clothing, no facial features, hair, just a solid black man. He was <laughs> he was kneeling with one arm raised, holding a branch above me. I was hoping he'd say holding a gun, but he was kneeling with one arm raised, holding a branch above him as if he was holding himself to maintain his balance. And I stared at him, and he stared right back at me for what seemed like an eternity. In reality, it was about eight, seven to eight seconds. I was frozen, not from fear, but more from shock and awe. I can't believe I was actually seeing this. A black I man. A black man. I remember thinking, what the hell is that? After a solid black man, after eight seconds, he suddenly and quickly stood up and started running, jumping from tree to tree with ease. Now we're getting racist, okay? He jumped over, th jumped three trees over till he was out of sight, being blocked by the apartment building. I immediately ran to that side of the building to see where he was. Uh, and I was left with nothing but trees on a windless day. I said, like I said, I'll never forget this experience because, but I never really thought about it much after that. But when I was 21, I had stumbled across a documentary about shadow people. And I immediately knew that that's exactly what I'd seen back then. And now I'm 28 and I've had a lot of paranormal experience since then. Uh, so, so much so that I wouldn't think anyone would believe me. And I'm glad I found this website and look forward to hearing from you about my experience. I would like it to write. Solid black man. Man, I'd like a solid black man. Who doesn't want a solid black man? Do they, do they exist? Do solid black men exist? But then there are shadow people. <laughs> oh my god, that shit is hilarious. Shadow people. They're all on, we're all on drugs. They're all on drugs. <laughs> Hey, if you've seen any shadow people, give us a call. 415-550-0511. Tell us about shadow people or drug policy. Or a black man. Or a black or a solid black man. <laughs> if you're a solid black, black man, man, you can come on in. <laughs> Say hello to Latoya oh, the Sheriff of Truth. Uh, Lordy. Solid black uh, man. That's what we're all looking for. I've never I've never been that down and out crazy. <laughs> shadow people. Shadow people. Uh, well, we've done it. We've, we've almost gone through a whole hour, and we haven't mentioned uh, he, he should not be named. Oh, that person. Not once. And that, I mean, I shouldn't about even drugs see. drugs and shadow people. Yeah, drugs and shadow people. So tell me about, like, so the comedy, the kind of comedy that you were doing on the, did you, um, on the East Coast, yeah. was, was it the, did you feel a little bit comfortable or yeah. a little bit loose? Or? Well, I mean, I, I enjoyed all of my shows because... You know, they'd never heard any of my material, so I could kind of yeah. do anything. Right. And um, and everybody received my jokes really well. Um, they liked the nanny stuff. I I need to do. I didn't <laughs> do my abortion. I need to bring my abortion jokes back out. Like, there's a lot of material that I wish I would have done that I didn't. Um, 
but yeah, I just did every, all of my jokes were well received. All of my shows, everybody laughed. There was clapping and it was great. That's I mean, good. yeah. Um, and I was all over the map, but it was, when I travel, I really like traveling with comedy because no one's heard any of my jokes. It's right. great. So I can do whatever. And, and even the comedians there are part of the audience because they've never seen my material either. So it isn't like they've heard it all before and they right. don't care. They you know, don't listen or whatever. Right. So, but you know, last night I hosted Brainwash. It was great to be back. And I love San Francisco comedy is just as lovely as, you know, Boston. The only problem with Boston is that their uh, transportation system is for fuck all shit. It is just <laughs> the, a worthless pile of doo-doo. Only because... The, the town is impossible to navigate. Um, it's circular. Roads go in circles. Things are on angles. There are no street signs. Oh, Lord. And 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 roads start, and then they change, and, and you, or you're like, am I still on Massachusetts? What am I? What happened? Am I? What's going? The maps are impossible. The, the underground line is like, there's colors and then there's places so it's like you got to take the orange line to boston college and it's like but i'm it it, there is no it's impossible north south east west is impossible so i walked a lot because i just couldn't figure out the public transportation system um but that was fine i like to walk so i walked 2.7 miles from my uh hotel to this one place called uh the, beer, the bar was called Great Scott, and the show was The Gas, and it's put on by Rob Crean. It was a great show. It was really, really good. All the comedians were hilarious. Nice. Um, and everyone, they, we all, everyone had a great set. It was a full, the place was fucking stacked. There were probably, I don't know, 70, 80 people there. Nice. Um, really great bar, good beers. Uh, I got the Narragansett local. It's their, basically like their local PBR. It's a cheapy. It's really good. Um, but yeah, the comedy there was really fun. I enjoyed all the other comedians that I saw. I thought they were really funny. Yeah, um, positive vibe. Positive vibe, yeah. In, in New York, I had a really great show um, at Pete's Candy Store. Thanks to Gabe, he put me on that show. And uh, that was really fun. And then the live band karaoke on Mondays at uh, at the Arlene's Grocery is the best time. They've been doing it for 11 years, and it's like one of the top things to do in in New York. Definitely go to Arlene's Grocery on Monday nights. It was completely full of people. It was like, it's like being a superstar. The band plays behind you, and you sing the song, and it's like so much fun. So wow. I can cons- I considered it like a performance. What, what did you, uh, what'd you sing? I sang You Ought to Know by Alanis. Oh, nice. I wanted to sing Zombie by the Cranberries, <laughs> but somebody had already sung it. So I couldn't sing the zombie song. Um, but I did, I sang You Ought to Know, and I really... Belted it out. I hit all the notes and and Pam's ego went. Pew! Yeah, it was fun. Well, and the when you do really well, the the band makes the audience go, "Holy shit!" They go, "Can we get a holy shit?" One, two, nice. three, holy shit. and I got a holy shit. I got there were three holy shits of the night, and I got one of them. Good. So that's uh, dope. So yeah, it was really fun. That I had a really like good fun. time. I, I enjoy singing. And then uh, we also with Good Doctor Katie, we sang in um, when we got to Boston. She loves to sing karaoke, so we went to this bar in Cambridge and it was a sports bar and sang karaoke and they were all like college students and I basically taught them how to sing karaoke. I opened with separate ways and they didn't even, like people were like, I've never heard the karaoke host was like, yeah, it's crazy. We met all these people, had the best time, um, sang, sang, sang and the beer was wicked cheap. <laughs> Hot wicked. 
Wicked cheap. They had this. They had this deal every night of the week, which is incredible. But it's a cheese pizza and a pitcher of PBR for sixteen dollars. Can you believe that? What a what a smoking hot deal. Was it, the pizza was good too, wasn't it? It was thin crust. It was good. I like thin crust. Yeah. yeah. I was just like, I can't believe that this is a deal here. This is so it's great. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we had a really, we had a really great time. And uh, oh, I have a gift for you, the good Dr. Katie, um, because oh, the dermatology yeah. convention. I got you. I was, I was just gonna say, like, how was that? Oh like, my God, it was <laughs> so incredible. So much incredible free stuff. So, the, oop, no, that's mango. That's dried mango. <laughs> this is. Let's see if I can find it out of my bag. Um, I, that means is, you got a year's supply of. Yes, of stuff. amazing stuff. I am. Uh, this is the this is the the, oh, uh, the Vanaclear set. There's a little shampoo in there. There's the, the nice. soap is really great for your face. It, uh, this particular brand has no additives, no lanolin, nothing. It's like all free and clear Thanks. of all everything's. It's like they're a really great company. I love them. Thank uh, their you. sunscreens are really really strong and. Um, they're really, they're really great, and everything goes on really nice. Sounds like you learned a lot of stuff. Well, I learned a lot about. Uh, I specifically went to some rosacea. Uh, I always learn about psoriasis when I'm there, but uh, I did some rosacea classes uh, and lunches. Basically, you get free lunch or dinner, and then you do things. And I was, you know, pretending to be a doctor, <laughs> uh, not a doctor. I pretend to be a PA, a physician's assistant, and I learned all about rosacea and um, treating it with doxycycline but not as an antibiotic because antibiotics we have to save them for our children and our children's children and if you overuse antibiotics you basically they stop working so you build up and they can stop just like um for example i cannot take any um certain antibiotics because i'm allergic to them like ampicillin um, penicillin, ampicillin, can't do it. I can't even take any cyclines. So if I have any infections, I have to knock it out with Cipro or a Sulfa, which is crazy, but that's just the way my body works. Right. But if we overuse um, antibiotics over time, antibiotics are not going to work for any of us. Anyways, doxycycline is this one that you can use. If you use it at 40%, it's not, it, it never gets to the antibiotic level in your body. Mm -hmm. And so at this low dose, it's an anti-inflammatory and rosacea is this systemic anti-inflammatory issue and they don't know, you know, why and how and stuff. And so one of the ways you can treat it is with internal doxycycline at a really low um, percentage or whatever so that it, it doesn't, um, doesn't have antibiotic properties, which is cool. Uh, I learned about that. And then also using like topical stuff in a topical vehicle and along with the doxycycline. But if you aren't going to do, so I did the, all the rosacea stuff because I wanted to learn about it because I think my friend Chris has it and he's a bike messenger and it's all of the thing. It comes between like the ages of 30 and, but the, the mean age is 50, like with the average people that have rosacea. And um, he's just about 50 almost. And uh, he's in the sun a lot and it's stress and stuff like that. And people say, oh, alcohol or diet or whatever. But it's not necessarily the diet unless things you're eating cause inflammation. Anyways, I did learn a lot. I feel like I know just enough to be dangerous about too many medicines. You know? <laughs> like, I know just enough to be dangerous about veterinary medicine. I know just enough to be dangerous about, you know, dermatology. Um, but I did. I learned a lot. I had a great time. I ate a lot of free food. Uh, I had. Did you have some lobster? No, I had filet mignon though, uh, like three times. I ate a lot of beef. 
I had um, a really good roast beef sandwich one day for lunch, and then I had filet mignon with mushrooms twice, actually. Once on Thursday and then once on Saturday. And really good red wine. So much red wine. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Yeah. It was really, it was, it was a really good time. I, well, and I love, I love being the plus one at these dermatology things. I mean, I'm so lucky that Katie takes me the good dacta. Once, it's once a year, correct? Once a year. Yeah. And uh, next year's New York. They, they nice. go, they go around in a circle. Uh, there's four cities usually for the summer conference and it's, uh, San Francisco. Or no, San Francisco's winter. I don't remember. But the, the cities I've been to multiple times, there's the San Francisco Conference, Chicago, New York, Boston. Where else have we gone? She's taken me to Palm Springs once before on it. Um, but, yeah, those are the main cities, Chicago. And we always stay at the same place in Chicago, and it's really fun. And yeah. But so, and this is like my 12th one I've been on. <laughs> Because she's been a doctor now for like nine years. And when she was in medical school, she got to go. And so I'd be her plus one, when, so, even when she was in medical school. So it's been a field trip for the past 12 years. Yeah, it's been a field trip. Yeah, it's the best. I, I love, 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 love but dermatology and dermatologists and uh, all the good work that they're doing to keep the people pretty. Yeah. And, and, and for other things, skin cancer, I mean, that kind of stuff too. But And it's, it's not about like, you know, plastic surgery or any of that stuff. You know, no. talk, it's more of like just like what you're talking about, like such as like rosacea, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, blemishing skin. Uh, well, that's the, she went to a bunch of classes and courses on tons and tons of other things, um, like real doctory stuff. Right. But the things that I got to go to were, they were like, pharmaceutical companies are pushing something specific for uh, a specific vehicle or a specific new treatment and they pitch it to the doctors at the free lunch. I see. See, So I got to go to the free lunch things, which are like extra classes, but they're specific to a a drug company, a pharmaceutical company. But they're next to the, it's in the exhibitor hall and all of that stuff is like all the stuff I got, like scar treatment stuff. There's some cool stuff about sweaty hands and feet. How do you get rid of that? There's this weird electrical pulse. There's a cool like massage chair thing they try to sell for your patients. And you know, a lot of it is cosmeceuticals like Elta MD is really a great company that has, you know, SPFs and skin, you know, I got the uh, fancy under eye creams and a new one, Nectafirm. Oh my God. They only gave me a tiny little one and I wanted more, (laughs) but they showed me all their pictures or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, I, before my waddle develops, I got to get this Nectafirm, uh, but expensive, expensive products because they're trying to pitch them to the doctors to hold them and carry them as a product in their office, dispense them. They call it just, do you dispense in your office? Um, so yeah, that's pretty much you walk around and with your little badge and they scan it and you ask for free stuff and they give it to you and you pretend you're interested and you're like yeah 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 Vino just give me the just give me the give me, give the, me goods. the oatmeal soap damn it well they this year they were pushing this new um coconut based stuff oh, sweet. and so I have a ton of like coconut based stuff which is and they just give you like full bottles, which is crazy because when you go to, the, I go to Walgreens or whatever, and I, I just look just for fun to see how much things are. And I'm like, they're like $14 bottles of lotion. Yeah. Yeah. You saved yourself some money. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and great. I get to be moisturized and the people have been saying to me lately too, they're like, God, your skin looks great. I'm like, my best friend's a dermatologist. And then, well, what do you do? And I'm like, sunscreen. That's all you need is sunscreen. Seriously. Patient compliance. Put the sun, put the damn sunscreen on. The sunscreen wants to kill you. And Jonathan, I constantly am like, you got 
to he doesn't protect your skin. No, no, he never protects his skin. Jonathan. Jonathan, put on the nails. Stop being hard-headed. Yeah. He wears and, a hat. And, and, and plus he works outside too, right? Uh, not anymore. Not anymore? Now he's okay. an urban farmer. But still, put some damn sunscreen on. Yeah. Shit, I even wear sunscreen. Everybody needs to wear sunscreen. Yeah. Scan- cancer doesn't discriminate. No. <laughs> it wants to wants to kill everybody's it skin was, cancer. It's just like, ooh, ain't I pretty? Ain't I fabulous? Sun. Kill. Yeah. I've seen, I saw some leathery ass bitches uh, when I went to the Jersey Shore. <laughs> We, <laughs> Did you want to give them some of your samples? Like, well, it was before cool. I went to New York. Before, so we stayed in, with Jonathan's sister in Newark, and she took us to the Jersey Shore because we'd never been, and she'd never been. It was awesome. It was really, really, it was really beautiful, and the water was really nice, and uh, it was really clear. And I thought it was going to be dirty, but it wasn't. It was really, I really enjoyed the Jersey Shore, and we found the diviest dive bar in um, in New Jersey. It's actually we looked up where we were and we're like oh we're here we are and we're like diviest dive bar and it came up and we go oh, this is great so we went to the diviest dive bar had a good time there and um, there was the coolest thing is they have a, a ski lift on the beach so that you could sit in these little chairs and just like above the beach above it, yeah like this is the coolest place so I wouldn't hear about the leathery bitches. Oh, it's just, I mean, they're just not wearing any skin protection and they're laying out on the beach and they just look like an old shoe. Like a lazy boy chair. Like an orange lazy boy chair. Like that one person. A shoe. They, it was really, whoa. I was like, what happened to your body, face, arms? I'm like, this isn't, this isn't a good look for you. <laughs> this tan, this so tan. This, <laughs> so, this carrot look. Yeah, it's like, it is. You have surpassed. You are no longer white, my friend. You, you've done it. You, I know you've got a lot of inner white guilt, and you want to change it. But you, not, the thing, don't become that tan. It's not a good look. Don't go to don't go to that tanning salon. Stop it. Yeah. So. Well, I'm good glad times. you're back. Yeah, I'm yeah. glad. I'm glad to be back too. You it know. wasn't. Uh, it was a good week off, but I mean, I was so afraid that the whole world was going to fall apart here at MutinyRadio.fm. But it wasn't that bad. I mean, I came back and I, Monday I did a lot of cleaning. Um, and I put the new, C- we finally have two working CD players, which is yeah, I know exciting. Yeah, I figured out that I could, uh, <laughs> I can't believe it took me three years to, f- we've had this second CD player down here in the corner forever. And I can't believe it took me three <laughs> years to be like, well, I could just take the input from the CD2 that doesn't work and hook it up to that CD. So even though it says CD1, I can make it CD2. Yay! I just, anyways, because on both of these, I have two two CD machines. You guys uh-huh. can't see this in front of me, but and only tra- uh, only like tray one works in both players. So now, anyways, I'm really so one excited. One CD one, one CD two. And they're different machines. In different machines. But it, it, now we can finally. I mean. I love CDs. I think they're the easiest thing to work with. All these crazy kids with their iPhones and pods and pads. I kind of miss cassettes. (laughs) Well, and that's the other thing. We have a cassette player down here, and I was like, fuck it. I can put that up there, too, and I can actually run through the board. There's no reason why I can't have these channels, uh, any of these channels work with another thing, too, so I could have a tape player. Nice. We just stick that on there. But I mean, yeah, we only have like 12 tapes here in the studio, but maybe people would start making mixtapes or I don't know. I still have my cassettes. I have some of my cassettes left. Wow. They they still work? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like I got 
Like when I moved, I made sure that I have all my music. That means CDs, vinyl, and cassettes. Damn, girl. Yeah. I don't know. You know, funny enough, I've never really cared that much about music, which is weird because I run a radio station. What? (laughs) I know. Well, no, I've never really, like, I love karaoke. Um, and I mean, I, music is around and everything, but I don't listen to an iPod when I live my life. I don't have a soundtrack to my life. I have, I to, just, have, I have to have a soundtrack. I don't have it. I I, just, like when I leave here, as I'm as soon as I strut out this door, I put my music on and strut to my soundtrack. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I just sort of try to pay attention to the world around me. And um, the quote I heard that was really, really fun. And I, I, I tagged it on, on our pages and the whatnot. But um uh, uh, when I was walking on the street, I was smoking my <coughs> cigarette before the show, and this one guy walks by, and he's talking to another man, and he says, and I just overhear, every presidential candidate inherits a shit show. And uh, the second man says, but not like this. <laughs> and I was like, that's, that's, that's funny and true and scary, but um, he sh- who shall not be named has not been named. No. No. And it's talking. all going to be okay. Maybe or maybe not. Um, I do like the fact that, you know, since, I don't know, you were on public, you were on vacation, but a lot of shit has went down since you have, you know, yeah, with the whole, you know, bastardizing the Khan family. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know about that one, right? No. Oh, see, this is why you've been on vacation. Yeah. So at the DNC, uh, this family whose son um, gave his life up for, um, in Afghanistan. Oh. Um, he was a soldier, a Muslim soldier. Uh, you Actually, we could play an excerpt. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, from the DNC. Let's see. Looking for that right now. Um, yeah, I didn't pay attention to anything good. while I was gone. <laughs> it, because you're on vacation. Yeah. That's why. And it's good to not turn on the TV and see sometimes you need a break from that. Um, But yeah, so basically there's been a lot of outrage. Uh, I'm going to play it for you guys. This is the full speech. Kids are con. Sometimes it it doesn't like your case. Oh, that's right. This thing's racist. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just because the plug is black and my case is white, <laughs> we can live in unity. We can all be harmoniously together with our iPhones. Gosh darn it. All right. So this is Critzy Khan's speech from the DNC last week. And then uh, it'll tie into what we're about to talk about. They don't, he doesn't mention the he shall not be named, right? Yes, he shall be named is named in this speech. Oh, okay. So we didn't say it, though. No. So we're okay. We're okay. We're fine. We did it. We've done it. We're doing it right now. All right. Should be ready to rock. Just press play. That's if the internet is ready to rock with me. Internet, be our friend. Internet, be our friend. Why are you so slow, Internet? I know, and we're not even using any other Wi-Fi devices or anything, so. Come on, sucker. So the, I didn't even pay attention to the DNC. I, I swear I didn't watch one thing. I didn't even, I just didn't you even. You took a break. I took a break. You're on vacation. Yeah, I, I couldn't. If you uh, weren't on vacation, I would have got on your ass about it. Well, and the, th- <laughs> the thing is that, like, I can't, I don't write jokes 
about it because I feel like it's going to go away anyways. And uh, everyone's already talking about it. If, if two dudes are talking about it on the street, I mean, everyone's talking about it. It's, it, I mean, it's a shit show. Oh it's, yeah. But it's, I don't think it's ever been this bad. It has, I mean, I guess we could compare presidential races. I think it's, it, we never saw the fate. Well, I think it's either do or die. That's the problem. That's where we're at right now. Come on, CNN. Sorry, I'm having, I'm on the CNN website and it's supposed to be playing this. And for some effing reason. Wait, loading. Yeah. Buffering, buffering. (laughs) Just, I'm like, I keep hitting play. The the one thing I did see um, was that he who should not be named said something about said something really disturbing about Muslims uh, uh, but the women well, she wasn't allowed to speak this is what he's talking about oh yeah. sweet yeah this is what you miss girl okay so that was the response to this because she stands next to him with her she's grief she, yeah she's grief stricken because her their son um, killed was killed in combat back in 2004 and so he, her husband speak at the DNC. They're right next to each other. We might have to go on your computer because okay. this thing is stupid. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we go. We'll, we'll find it for you guys. Don't worry. Here, we'll bring some music back up so that we can seem professional here on the AltaCast. Yeah. Here on Mutiny because Radio. Technology does not like me for some apparent reason. Oh, no, no, no. It's okay. Technology and I are not friends. That's for sure. Uh, Technology, you make me look like an asshole. DNC <laughs> speeches. And Here we go. Yeah, that's that's it. Uh, powerful, powerful stuff. That's what it. That's what's labeled as. Okay. We are all together now. All yes. together now. now. All together okay, now. now. All together now. All Is together. it going to make us watch a commercial? Nope. Here we go. Tonight we are honored to stand here as parents of Captain Himayun Khan and as patriotic American Muslims. This is basically Democrats saying, we're not racist. But now they're pulling the, I'll tell you. Patriotic American Muslims with undivided loyalty to our country. And then they pan in the- Like many immigrants, we came to this country empty handed. We believed in American democracy that with hard work and goodness of this country, we could share in and contribute to its blessings. We are blessed to raise our three sons in a nation where they were free to be themselves and follow their dreams. You can tell he wrote the speech himself. Yeah. (laughs) Which I appreciate. 
Himayun had dreams too. Oh, he's a good-looking guy. Of being a military no lawyer, but he put those dreams aside. The day he sacrificed his life to save the lives of his fellow soldiers. Oh. Hillary Clinton was right when she called my son the best of America. If if it was up to Donald Trump, he never would have been in America. Oh. Donald Trump consistently smears the character of Muslims. It's true. He disrespects other minorities, women, judges, even his own party leadership. <laughs> He vows to build walls and ban us from this country. Boo. Racist. Donald Trump, you're asking Americans to trust you with their future. Let me ask you, have you even read the United States Constitution? <laughs> Slam! This is where he drops I the mic. Will, Slam! I will gladly lend you my copy. I, I bet he. I bet he's right. I bet he hasn't even read the Constitution. He, he hasn't. Look for the words. Look for the words: liberty and equal protection of law. Each equal protection under the law. Have you ever been to Arlington Cemetery? Mm. Go look at the graves of brave patriots who died defending United States of America. You will see all faiths, genders, and ethnicities. You have sacrificed nothing. Yeah! And no cannot solve we cannot solve our problems by building walls sowing division yeah. we are stronger together and we will keep getting stronger when Hillary Clinton becomes our president In conclusion, I ask every patriot American, all Muslim immigrants, and all immigrants to not take this election lightly. This is a historic election, and I request to honor the sacrifice of my son, 
and on election day. Take the time to get out and vote, and vote for the healer. Vote for the strongest, most qualified candidate, Hillary Clinton, not the divider. God bless you. Thank you. So, yeah. That is what happened on Thursday at the convention. Okay. So, what Donald Trump said. Oh, you did it. You said it. Ah! You made, it, you made an hour and 22 minutes in. Oh, I'm really impressed. Orange. I got burnt by the orange. <laughs> Gosh darn it. So I what was he who should not be named's response? Okay, he should not be renamed's response was like he said, you know, he was saying that actually there's a whole interview I believe he did on uh, this more, uh, CBS Sunday morning saying that, you know, he said really nasty things about me at the DNC, which they weren't nasty. And the fact that he insulted his wife saying that, well, uh, you know, I don't, you know, she probably wasn't able to talk because of religion or what have you. And so the response, you know, how did I, how do I spell his name again? K-H-A-N. Okay. Um, so Trump's response, oh, orange oh. face, Orange faces. I did that within 60 seconds. Okay, let's see. Let's hear his response. There was a man named Kaiser Khan speaking at the Democratic Convention. His son, Captain Humayun Khan, was killed serving in Iraq. And he had some very tough questions for you. He said you wouldn't have even let his son in America. He yeah. doesn't know. He doesn't know that. I saw him. He was, uh, you know, very emotional and probably looked like uh, a nice guy to me. His wife... Uh, if you look at his wife, she was standing there. She had nothing to say. She probably, maybe she wasn't allowed to have anything to say. You tell me, but plenty of people have written that. Uh, she, uh, she was extremely quiet. That. And it looked like she had nothing to say. A lot of people have said that. Uh, and personally, uh, I watched him. I wish him the best of luck. George. What would you say to that father? Well, I'd say we've had a lot of problems with radical Islamic terrorism. That's what I'd say. We have a lot of problems where... You look at San Bernardino, you look at Orlando, you look at the World Trade Center, you look at so many different things. You look at what happened to the priest over the weekend in Paris where his throat was cut, 85-year-old, beloved Catholic priest. You look at what happened in Nice, France a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I'd say you got to take a look at that because something's going on and it's not good. He said you have sacrificed nothing and no one. Well, that sounds, uh, who wrote that? Did uh, Hillary's uh, scriptwriters write it? How would you answer that, Father? What wow. sacrifice have you made for your country? I think I've made a lot of sacrifices. Uh, I work very, very hard. I've Not a sacrifice. I've created thousands and thousands of jobs, tens of thousands of jobs. Uh, I think Those are sacrifices? <laughs> oh, sure, I think they're sacrifices. I think when I can employ thousands and thousands of people, take care of their education, take care of so many things, even in military, I mean, I was very responsible along with a group of people for getting the Vietnam Memorial built in downtown Manhattan which to this day people thank me for uh, I raised wow. and I have raised millions of dollars that's not sacrifices, sacrifices. I think my popularity with the vets is through the roof <laughs> Wow he just didn't respond at all in real he didn't respond he didn't and, respond and, and to he, what the interviewer was asking the him. thing is like how insulting Someone sacrificed their life, and you're talking about 
you building a memorial or buildings that no one can afford to live in as a sacrifice? And he creates thousands of jobs and destroys thousands of jobs. Uh, When Trump Towers went down, oops, I did it, but I was referencing (laughs) him, I was referencing his hotel. When that went down in New Jersey, on the Jersey Shore, it's still an empty building, by the way. Oh, yeah, you saw that, right? It's uh, a big, empty, pink monstrosity. And uh, when that died, 6,000 people lost their job in like one day. So he's creating jobs and destroying jobs. Yeah. Because yeah. when his businesses fail and he doesn't take the sacrifice of the bankruptcy and he passes it on to the people who've been working there, to their pensions, to their, you know, livelihood. Such a jerk. So, uh, Orange Face, um, so now there, he's also said more after that. That was on Sunday. So, you know, a lot of people are up in arms, especially the, like the Republican Party who said that he should apologize to the Khan family, you know? Right. And now, you know, he's... Every, I'm, I'm waiting for people to stop endorsing him. Now, his his followers, his sheep, they don't, <laughs> they, don't, they, they don't condemn him at all. You know, they, they, they said that, well, maybe Khan got what he deserved by, you know, insulting Donald Trump. That wasn't really an insult anyway. It was actually speaking of the truth. And what sacrifice? I, I, I put in, um, I wanted to see who endorses um, Orange Face. Mike Tyson endor- in, endorses. Who's a Muslim? He is? Yes. Um, let's see who else. The NRA endorses him. Of course they do. Uh, Ted Cruz doesn't. I was just hoping there'd be a lot of. Scott. 33 celebrities who support him. Scott Bayo. Let's uh, check this out. 33 celebrities. Antonio Sabato Jr. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested to see which people support this maniac. 33 celebrities who support Orange Face. Orange Face. Charlie Sheen. That's not true. If actually. Trump will HV me. Uh, and then here, uh, what is it? Oh, Wilson, Luke, Owen Wilson, Willie Robertson, TV personality says uh, Wayne Allen Root entrepreneur the establishment of GOP um, Tom Brady quarterback yeah, of the yeah, New England Tom, Patriots yeah. <laughs> wow Ted Nugent obviously Obvi- Charlie Sheen doesn't endorse him by the way Did they lie? spoke about Robert Kiyosaki he's an author Omarosa of course uh, yeah she's the duh yeah okay. Ann Coulter duh conservative author and uh Face. Uh, Lou Ferrigno. Who's deaf? Who makes fun of and Mike Ditka. Duh. Absolutely, yeah. Mike Ditka. So that's not a biggie, right? Stephen Baldwin? Yeah. No way. Yeah. He found Jesus and Satan. Fran Drescher. I can't believe it. I can't believe ha. it. Terrell Owens, retired he's a, NFL wide he's receiver. A Tom. Terrell, uh, Tia Tila Tequila. Tila Tequila. Wow. Mark Cuban, billionaire and owner of the Dallas Mavericks. Actually, he doesn't either anymore. This is old. Jesse James, former celebrity apprentice uh, contestant. He built uh, motorcycles. Herschel Walker, Heisman Trophy winner. Hulk Hogan, former WWE wrestler. WWF as well. Gene Simmons. Gene Simmons of KISS supports, I can't believe it, Gary Busey. Yeah. Okay, fine. 
I believe it. Uh, Robert Davi, actor and director. I don't know who that is. He's a character actor. Dennis Rodman. Yeah, he's NBA star. He's, he's, he's what? Terrible. Dana White, president of the UFC Ultimate yeah. Fodling and Cuddling. Dan Blizzard. Yeah, that guy's Blizzardian. Carl Icahn, a billionaire entrepreneur. Jesse Ventura, former governor. That I did not know. Wow. That's sad. Mike Tyson. We know that he, uh, we saw him on a different one. Loretta Lynn, singer and obviously she's had a lot of work done on her face. Joe Arpaio, Arizona Sheriff. Wayne Newton, singer. But his eyes are too close together. Phil Ruffin, owner of Treasure Island Resort. And number one, Sarah Palin, Whoa. former governor of I Alaska. I want to find out about Loretta Lynn because some of these are questionable. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, Charlie Sheen came out in an interview about uh, Donald Trump not too long ago saying that the guy was a fraud and a fake Ooh. and how he, you know, he would never support someone like that. Yeah. So that's why I'm just like, uh. Look up the Charlie Sheen thing. So uh, this was another thing that happened and it uh, got, I got a lot of likes and things on the Facebook. I want to read it to you guys. Um, so I, my flight back was on Virgin America from Boston to San Francisco, but it was Great waylaid airlines. through LA. So I did a five and a half hour flight from Boston to LA on Virgin America. And uh, I, I almost, uh, I almost stabbed a baby in the face. So then I wrote, while I'm waiting uh, for my plane to board to get to San Francisco from LA, I write this letter. I say, who can I complain to? And uh, the lady gives me this thing, a card. And so this is the letter that I wrote to them. Uh, Dear, or I didn't even say dear, Mr. Moldering. His name is uh, Harvey Moldering. Sadly, my flight from Boston to SFO on Sunday, 731 was very frustrating, and I have a suggestion to help Virgin in the future. I paid $340 for my one-way plane trip. While I can accept that it had a, ha, had a stop in LAX for two hours, my frustration arose, arose from the Boston to LA flight. The plane was filled with crying babies that screamed the entire five-hour flight. My suggestion is that Virgin contain children to a specific part of the plane, or perhaps have adult-only flights. Perhaps one flight a day could be a family flight. It isn't fair to spread children all around the cabin so that people, um, so that people who choose wisely choose not to have children or bring them across the country have to be subjected to over five hours of screaming. Thank you for your time. Maybe you could tell parents to drug their children with Benadryl so that other adults don't need to be subjected to their screaming spawn. Pam Benjamin. P.S. I am a nanny who loves children, but this was unacceptable, and I hope Virgin makes an effort to change this horrific atrocity. So this is their response, okay? Okay. Pam, thanks for reaching out to me. Sorry for any discomfort discomfort you received en route to LAX this past Sunday. I will share your thoughts and concern to our polices and marketing teams. Instead of policies, it says polices. Harvey. And then Steve Taylor goes, I hope you meant poli- policies and not polices. Ha ha. And then my friend posted, uh, she posted, um, I do wonder what the virgin police look like. And she put a picture from a, a cop. He's a sexy cop. So, uh, wait, so wait a minute. You didn't get to enjoy that virgin experience? No. And I even had these headphones on that we're wearing and it wasn't even drowning out the screaming. 
So these have been the responses of people. Jonathan said, no free flight voucher, horrible. I said, not even a drink ticket. They just want people to suck it up. And Jonathan says, we need adult airlines pronto. And I agree. I think it's actually a really good idea. And people said, oh, we can't discriminate against people with families. And I'm like, yeah, you can. I spent 345 fucking dollars on a goddamn flight and I had to be, it was a nightmare. And you have to pay 750 for a fucking beer. You have to pay 750 for a beer and your fucking bitch little kid is screaming and then it starts smelling like poo. And they like, the parents aren't even going, shh, shh. They're just letting the baby cry. And I'm like, you're a fucking asshole. I think that's the most annoying part part of it too i trust me i've been on an international flight from amsterdam to atlanta with a kid running around the fu- the fucking flight yeah like it was like five in the morning the kid's still running around right. and i'm like and i finally had to say something He's like control your demon spawn yeah i'm just like oh and the kid wouldn't shut up yeah I, that it's, was the way there the kid wouldn't but shut i up. mean the thing is like it, it's one of those hard things because you can't you on you can't tell people not to bring their kids but you could but, have a flight and maybe but every flight, flight attendants would go to the parent sometimes and right. say something and shame them and yeah. say shut your fucking kid up you're ruining this for I've everybody seen, i've seen that happen when a flight attendant has wanted to someone and say like is there any way that you can go to the back or something or maybe take your baby to the back i think and- that they should put all the kids people with kids in one area on the plane and then like, like this like the, where the smoking area used, used to, to be, be. <laughs> yeah like make a wall seriously it's Build not it's it's not fair. Uh, Eli says, uh, too much fucking overpopulation these days. Too many fucking babies everywhere. And armies of children with their pretentious conservative parents who think their screaming children are God's great gift. It's so gross. I'm like, amen, brother. Um, Suzanne says, I think there should be parenting class that teaches people how to take care of babies on flights. Bottle during takeoff and landing to help them with the air pressure changes. And you do the best to keep them awake until takeoff so they sleep as much as possible during the flight. And I said, you're a genius. And she said, I mean, that's likely why they're screaming. Their poor ears were adjusting to the air pressure. Yeah, Was it um, like a mixture? bag of like little infants and toddlers it was was yeah it was a mix and there were little kids and there were screaming there were little kids screaming too and that makes me angry if your kid is three shut shut that little fucker up so when i'm actually leaving the plane and walking out there was one aisle in the front that was so full of trash it was unbelievable i was like this is where some of the kids were it was like a bomb went off there I'm like, you're making the trifling there. It was just, there were at least 15 kids on this flight. They were everywhere and they were spread around everywhere. And I was like, one would start way up there and then it would be right behind me. And then there was one over there and then there was, and then they, it was insane. And just, it was all over the place. It was making me nuts. Uh, that would make me nuts. Uh, look, we used to drug my brother and sister on road trips and they both grew up to have their shit more together than anyone else in our family. So, (laughs) Uh, this is this got this got cute. Um, one of my friends is funny, and someone didn't get the joke. He said, first world problems, boo-hoo. Perhaps the babies were upset at your lack of an attempt to entertain them. Did you think about that before crying to all of us on Facebook? And then my friend Damon goes, it's nobody's job to entertain someone else's fucking kid, period. And then my other friend goes, Damon, uh, wrong, brother. It takes a village. One flight, I managed to drink floor Bloody Marys, breastfeed my children, and perform all of the Hamilton the musical and a DJ a full set of dubstep mashed with potatoes and I went ha 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 I would have done comedy for the children but I'm sure parents wouldn't like me saying fuck at the kids the whole time even though I was muttering under my breath anyways see I think you had some 
I mean, little babies, little infants, I can understand because the popping of their ears and what have you. But you also, as a parent, you have to be very cautious putting infant, you know, having infants on planes, period, because it makes it very uncomfortable for them. Now, if you have a little fucking asshole Johnny who is two, three years old and he knows he has to sit his little butt down and you do not discipline that little fucker, then we have an issue with you. Absolutely. As a parent. And we're all aboard this little, this box in yeah, the air. In the sky. In the sky. Yeah. And we have to be together for this five hour for, journey. Yeah. Together, all of us. Little Johnny could be playing on the screens on that Virgin Airline, cause I know how that airline works. Play, have that little asshole sit there and watch a movie. Calm down or color a book. You have you have so much time there's, for there's little Johnny so, to calm down. Absolutely. You know, and the fact of the matter is, just like the infants, I get it. It's it is annoying to have a little baby on and it's screaming. Just, Don't oh, take your up. baby on vacation. Don't take your baby. <laughs> you know what? Babies are free, anyways. Babies fucking fly free. Don't let babies fly free. Charge for the fucking babies. <laughs> this is how we can start. We can stop this now. If you make the babies pay for babies no one's gonna bring the fucking baby they're not gonna bring the baby if they have to pay for the baby they're gonna be like ah oh, you know what we're gonna we're not gonna we're gonna wait you know what you fucking rich asshole you don't maybe you don't take maybe you don't go on vacation you have a baby maybe you go on a road trip maybe you take but do put in your own car but what if they're going to a funeral Okay. You gotta, take, you gotta take the baby. That's that's, you gotta take that's, the baby. that's fair. But I mean, the thing is, is just like, is I wonder if there's some kind of concept or something that will help, you know, with air pressure with little infants when they're going because because you do have a lot of kids that travel. I told Katie that we need to talk to Bear or a pharmaceutical company, and we need to make baby fly drugs. It's a <laughs> tiny bit of Valium, it's a tiny bit of Benadryl, and it's a little bit of. Dramamine, so they don't get nauseous, right? So then they won't throw up, and they won't shit their pants, and they're gonna sleep the whole time. You drug the baby. I think we could make a billion dollars, right? Like if a doctor endorses it, and they're like, "All right, it's baby Valium." It's like, you know, it's like less than a milligram. It's like 0.5 milligrams of Valium. You know, if since we already give our kids Ritalin, I wouldn't see why that why would be not? far off. <laughs> Get them, get them started at three months. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's totally safe for babies. And if you have a three-year-old, you know, you can have a higher dose. Okay. I don't think you need that for a little th- fucking asshole three-year-old. I'm sorry. By this point, you as a parent, you need to do something. Right. This is your time. And the thing is, like, you know, I remember flying when I was a kid, and I thought it was really fun and fascinating, but I wasn't running up and down the aisles. Right. I wasn't screaming at the top of my lungs and trying to show out no because my mom was like no children not, should be seen and not heard we are not going to be doing this have color on your coloring book look out the window look for out Pete's the sake. window yeah it's it's look at that you don't get to see that every day but the fact of the matter is like if you have a toddler as a parent you know that you can talk to your kid and like sit down sit, sit your little ass down absolutely you know or go to the i do see parents that do go take their little infant kids to the bathroom so that way they can like hush down and they don't have to you know disturb everybody else i see that all the time on the airline so i mean parenting classes that's that's what yeah this all comes that's down what to. it all comes down and the fact that you had a plethora of romper room here's more comments don't get me started about parents who let their kids kick the back of my seat all the way from Uh. sf to nyc and i said right that it's like they're ignoring the concept that their child is being an asshole they can teach them not to kick the chair it's almost as if they want someone else to be as miserable as they are reason 747 not to have kids (sighs) yep what what time was your airline too was it prime time uh i left boston at 
I think it was like an 11:15 flight. A.M. Yeah, and I got in to uh, LAX at 2:30 our time, and the Later entire flights. time. Well, then that's the thing. I think that the family flights. I I feel like Virgin or any airline could do this. They can make a family flight where at 11 o'clock it's family friendly, and they know that it's family flight and you know you know what you're getting into and if it was on the thing family flight i would never book that flight i'd book the 10 a.m i'd book the 12 whatever but not the family flight and then why can't they have an adult only flight 21 and up charge people an extra 50 bucks you get two free drinks and no kids why is why are they not doing this why is an airline not being smart and saying hey you know what no fucking children on this flight you pay a little extra everyone's boozy everyone has a good time right (laughs) It ain't gonna happen. Which should? Why can't it? I feel like I feel like it's a brilliant idea. This is this is as a as a wise traveler. This is what you have to do. And I don't ever take flights like that early, because I have I've noticed a pattern when I have like left like around ten or nine or you know eleven. Uh, I run into a lot of children action. Yeah. And so it's now, the right time to travel with kids. It's true. I yeah. Mean, but there's also the fact of like you know economically. You know, you you got to think economics too when you're flying on an airline too, because you know there's deals out there, and you don't you don't want to spend five hundred dollars on an airline when you know you can get something for like three hundred or two fifty. Right. So you might have to take that sacrifice, but the sacrifice that I usually do is like I usually like to leave at five a.m. Oh yeah. Or, or seven. That's or, a fucking sacrifice. Or or I'll leave later. Like if I, if I have to return someplace, I won't take any, I'll take anything after 5 PM right. and arrive like at midnight. Sure. Sure. Just because there's going to be lack of children. Absolutely. I've, You're I, smart lady. I've, I've noticed that pattern because, I, ugh. uh, my friend Megan said, well, check baggage feet with more check baggage fees. Uh, more people are carrying on the baggage, which means more room in the cargo hold. Therefore, anybody under drinking age should be stuffed in with the checked baggage. Problem solved. I'm surprised that Virgin had that many kids because as many times as I've flown it, because it's my favorite airline, I didn't have to come into contact with that many children. United, yes. Ooh. United and like Southwestern. But... Uh, and Virgin is one of my favorite airlines to chill out because it's an adult. It feels right. like an adult airline, you know. It's hip and it's cool, but when you got a bunch of screaming ass kids, mm-mm. mm-mm. Uh, someone thought horrific atrocity was very funny. Timothy Pizza said Xanax and vodka. You won't give a shit if the plane is crashing. <laughs> uh, someone else said tweet it to Richard Branson. I don't know how to tweet. And we got a kids fly free in cargo. <laughs> Uh, you'll want to avoid Sun Country then, the official airlines of screaming babies. Yeah, that's oof. And uh, good point above about the tweets. I find that customer support is all but useless these days, but companies do actually monitor their related tweets. I've seen that firsthand in terms of Virgin. So that was my... And then this is very funny. This is what um, my good, hilarious friend Ian Levy uh, posted about it. Um, everyone annoyed by screaming Kid Rock. (laughs) Uh, Everyone on flight annoyed by screaming Kid Rock. Uh, Los Angeles, passengers aboard, this is is from The Onion, so it's being funny, but still, this will close with this if I can get this thing to work. Um, Passengers on a 657 from Detroit to Los Angeles confirmed Wednesday that the trip was repeatedly disrupted disrupted by the noisy and obnoxious behavior of an annoying Kid Rock seated in the fifth row. (laughs) 
And then it goes on to talk about how, how he was uh, drunk. Anyways, that's, that's good times. I, re- I prefer having drunk people on the plane because it's oh, entertaining. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And them getting booted off. I don't, you know, it's really crazy. I, I don't mind seeing a, having a delay if there's some action going on. Like, I've been on a plane where people have gotten, like, kicked off because they're too intoxicated. Wow. And it was, like, interesting and in how people, like, go into a panic. I threw up in a, I threw up in the sink of a, of a, of a, what's it called? Southwest once. Oh, really? Yeah, because I, I, when you're sitting in the seats that face each other or whatever, um, I just decided, we met some person or something, and I, I decided to double fist, and I double fisted, because this person, I guess, was buying all of the strings. I don't remember what was going on. But um, I was double fisting beers, and ah. I did it twice on a pretty short flight, and I got, a, I, I think I had like four beers in like, I don't know, an hour and a half, but I'd been drinking before that too, oh, so shit. I was kind of drunk when I got on the plane. And I, the bathroom was like right there, and I got up and I threw up, and I, was, and I came out, and I'm like, I am so sorry. I, the, I threw up in the sink because I was afraid to put my head in the toilet. And uh, you let them know. Yeah, I let them know. I was like, I'm really sorry. I didn't. They feel hated good. your ass. Oh, they hate. Yes, there was, I've got to tell you, there are a lot of people that that hate my ass. Uh, I was. I don't think I've ever been such an angry cunt um, in front of so many people. I mean, I was like, just like fuming, pissed, fucking kids. Um, and then when I finally get back to SFO. I finally get all my shit together. I'm getting on the BART. And the BART is fucking closed. The BART, they, they take you from SFO to Daly City, City, and you have to get off and get on a bus, and then they take you to Glen Park. And I've been traveling at this point for like 16 hours. I just want to get home, and I'm starving, and I'm like having a nervous breakdown. And This was on Sunday, This too. was on Sunday. Total nervous breakdown day. And I, I got home, and I just, I ended up, I, I just, I was, I was just a mess. Jonathan got me goat chops, though, and, uh, Paneer sog, so I was okay. Yeah, that's one thing you don't want to see, especially if you've been traveling all day and you're like, I just want to get home. You don't want to see your public transportation that you usually depend on, especially when you're coming from the airport. Oh, by the way, we're closed. And they charged us full price. I'm like, how dare you charge us full price from the airport out and you break us down? In, I was like, I would have taken an Uber. You should have told me. Or I don't can't. I would have taken a cab, honestly. But they didn't let me know until I was inside the BART. And then they're like, this, I, we were on the train. And they're like, this train stops at this and does this. And I'm like, what? There was no signage. I seriously would have paid 40 bucks for a cab to get home at that point. Because I've been traveling was, all day. Now we had to do it over an hour. And it took me, it took an hour and a half to get from the <gasps> airport to, to Powell. Um, with all of the stuff and I've been already traveling and then the layover and then the kids screaming and the, uh, the only flight that I mean the flight from LAX to SFO was stellar not a peep from a child everything was great too bad it was only 45 minutes it was only 45 minutes I know <laughs> I didn't even get a drink well this show's been two hours we did it Latoya yes. as always we, we got it we, done we got it done man we, we got it done that's what we do here on the AltaCast. So I um, want to let you guys know, coming up on August 20th is the Noise Pop Block Party. Uh, we're having special events all day here at Mutiny Radio from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., starting with a clothing swap from 10 to 2 at 2 o'clock. Out of the closet's going to come. We're going to donate all the leftover goods to them. Please bring things that don't have holes because we really are going to try to trade and swap and get good, good, great stuff. Um, 
Another really great highlight of the day is that um, I get to interview the Boulevards. They're going to be one of the nice. main stage performers uh, here at the Block Party. They're going to come for a special set at Mutiny Radio from 3 to 4. We're going to have an interview. They're going to play live in a really intimate setting. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, you guys come on down all day on the 20th. It's going to be super, super fun. So support Mutiny Radio. Come on down. And uh, we will talk to you again someday. Bye. Bye. of swimming through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak ceiling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? <laughs> it's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> Want to go to Burning Man, but you don't have the right goggles, costume, or attitude? Visit 20 Mission Hive at 2415 Mission Street between 20th and 21st in the heart of the Mission District. Easily accessible by BART, this collective of unique artists and vendors has eclectic handmade clothing, leatherwork, artisan jewelry, antiques, crystals, and there's even an amazing florist. Whisper pirate ship to your 20 Mission Hive vendor for a special 10% discount on the coolest, most original items in San Francisco. That's 20 Mission Hive with eight vendors and like them on Facebook at 20 Mission Hive. 20 Mission Hive for awesome events and updates. 
dictionary definition of the adjective eclectic is selecting or choosing from various sources. When Bay Area musician J.D. Buell brings you Morning Train Wednesday, 10 a.m. to noon on Mutiny Radio, that is exactly what he does. Select music from various sources to give you a unique listening experience. Rock, pop, jazz, bluegrass, gospel, funk, reggae, folk, blues, country and western, electronica, soul, disco, rhythm and blues, punk and post-punk come together with music from around the world with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment where both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on mutinyradio.fm. Freeform radio for free minds. an underground space for an event? Look no further than mutinyradio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsadai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event now. Trying to hurt me, but boy, how it burns me whenever she touched me. You know, I feel so lucky. Well, hey there, San Francisco. If you're looking for some delicious late-night food, I suggest you mosey on down to Bender's Bar. Inside, you can find Counter Offer, offering you amazing late-night food and snacks. Try the chicken biscuit. It's like your stomach's in a tasty tornado. They have exceptionally great daily ground sustainable burgers with sides of tater tots, grilled asparagus, and delicious zucchini. And creamylicious mac and cheese. You like tacos? They get them. And from the specials, very deep fried fish sandwich to a stoner burger with a donut bun. What are those crazy potheads gonna come up with next? Go to the counter offer inside of Brenda's Bar at 800 South Van Ness Avenue, San Francisco. It's located between 19th Street and 20th Street in the Mission District. Open seven nights a week from 5 to 10 p.m. or later. Counter offer, son!
Subliminal SF brings you visual and auditory mind control. For the best graphic design, physical merchandise, and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. Oh, happy hour. What could be happier than 23 comics doing jokes for each other and at a radio listening audience? Puppets, kittens, unicorns, porn maybe? Oh, well, stage time makes them happy and this super happy comedy open mic is open every Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. But you can also listen anytime by downloading the podcast at Mutiny Radio FM Index at podcasts.pcrcollective.org. So come live or listen later or to every happy hour mic Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. at Radio FL Mutiny Radio. I just fucked that up again. What the fuck is wrong with me? Yeah! I got it. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shit. From time to time, I've given it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes. And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the 